good morning. Good to have you here. Uh, we are welcoming you all. Normally, we wait to welcome Brewster till later in the service, but uh, Brewster is either in the house or watching us online because we're all gathered together because Brewster Real Life got kicked out of their building in Brewster. Yeah, yes. Um, Billy was selling a marijuana out of the PE <laughs> locker room. Again, uh, offerings were way high in Brewster, so we were pleased with that. Now, uh, they're just redoing the floors in the middle school. The Brewster uh, School District has been great. Wouldn't you agree, Bill? Yeah, yeah good answer. Uh, the, uh, and oh, uh, they just are great for us up there. So we are excited that uh, Brewster, that we're all combined. I was thinking, uh, our band leader this week is um, Brett. So Brett picked uh, What I Like About You. Well done, Dane. Uh, because he was saying that's a good song to open because what we like about Brewster. So I thought, what do we like about Brewster? Brett, have you thought about that? <laughs> we like Billy. We, we like Billy. Uh, um, the pastor in Brewster is better looking than the pastor in Chelan, but both very attractive because of our hairdo. <laughs> we, we just shake and go in the morning. We don't have to do anything. Um, I was thinking some other things. You know what I like about Brewster? Uh, Geber's beef. Have you had Geber's beef? It's fine, but what I like most about it is that Wade Geber's, the cowboy, he's really dreamy. He's the best looking cowboy you're going to find in, in the West. Bill? Yes, good answer. Also, here's what else I like about uh, Brewster. Brewster has the best place to salmon fish if you've ever salmon fished up in Brewster, the launch at the Brewster Park is, and what happens is you got about 40 or 50 dudes out there, and everyone is so nice and kind when they're launching their boats. It's really a, 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 a cluster of testosterone of uh, who can get out there first. But really, if you've been around here a while in this area, the number one thing that we like most about Brewster is they have a McDonald's. Yep, yep, you all, I heard you all say it with me, all right? Uh, when you see those golden arches, you know you are home in Brewster, all right? Uh, thanks for being here. We're excited about everything going on. There's so much going on. We're gonna end this month strong, but then September's gonna blow up. We got so many things that we're gonna share with you, invite you to participate in. I wanna mention one thing. Two weeks from today um, is the, our mission trip Sunday, our group that went to Nolens uh, went down, had a fantastic trip. They're all back safe, and Pastor Graham and his team are going to put together a service for us. That's on the 29th. Uh, I know you won't miss it. Everything will be great about it. The videos, the stories, the kids, and so uh, please join us. Plan on being here with us on the 29th. Uh, this morning, we continue... Um, what Pastor Billy uh, spoke about last week. We continue our series called I Got a Question. And uh, there's all kinds of questions we have about God and life and faith, um, whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or, or not. Uh, the question we want to deal with this week is this. Is it worth it? And you have asked that question many, many times. I don't care how old you are. And maybe not just about faith, but is it worth it? to study before a test? Is it worth it to work out to achieve some kind of athletic goal? Is it worth it to keep hanging in there in my marriage or, or keep putting up with whatever? Is it worth it at my job? Does it, is it worth, when those questions enter into faith, man, that's a big question. 
Okay, why sign up to follow Jesus? Why continue to follow Jesus? If it's not worth it, it's not worth it. So we're going to try to answer that question together. I'm so glad you are here. Let's pray together. God, thanks. Thanks that uh, your love for us and your sacrifice for us and the forgiveness you offer us, um, really, if we step back and can see the big picture, I hope we see how worth it is. Worth it, it is. So give us a, a clear vision of what that is this morning. Thanks for being in the midst of what's going on here. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome. In 1980, the, uh, the summer of 1980, my um, school that I went to, Nampa Christian, home of the Trojans, I know you heard of us, uh, gaining uh, popularity uh, each and every month. Uh, my little Christian school that I went to said, hey, Kyle, this was the last day of school going into summer. They said, Kyle, we don't have anyone to attend Boys State. And I thought, well, I, uh, what's that have to do with me? Well, if we don't send somebody, we'll lose our scholarship from the veterans of foreign war. I, I, I don't know who puts it on. Anyway, they said, so you got to go. I said, ah, no, please go. So I decided to go. Now, have any of you ever participated in girls' state or boys' state? Raise your hand. Anyone? Oh, just a, a welcome to the um, family of nerds. Um, uh, you show up, they give you this white shirt with blue trim, says Boy State on it, and I have no idea what I'm doing. These are all schools bigger than my little school. I don't know anybody uh, at this thing, and I just show up my little nerdy Christian uh, outfit, whatever that means. Um, I look pretty good. I had my Latigra, pink Latigra shirt on and my uh, 501 button-down fly. You know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, so I go walking in there, and I don't, know what they, well, I don't know anything. But evidently, they said, everyone runs for office, and, and you try to make your way up. So they start you in, in a town of like a group of 12 guys, and then that town uh, combines with another town for different meetings into a county. Then you keep running for offices. And so I ran for county attorney or something and, and worked up to uh, attorney general or whatever. Uh, it, it, it was just overwhelming, but I kind of got into it because I was competitive. I wanted to win, and so I ran campaigns and stuff like that. So towards the end, and this is why 80% of the guys were there. I didn't know this. 80% of the guys were there because the very last night of Boy State, they invite all the girls from Girl State to come to a dance, all right? Well, right away, I'm out for a number of reasons. A, I don't know how to dance. Went to Christian school. We had banquets. We didn't have proms, didn't have dances. Don't know how to dance. Two, I was deeply in love with a girl named, a farmer's daughter from Nampa, Idaho, named Darlene, all right? So I'm not going to go, you know, dance with uh, other girls. Um, and third, I ju it just felt so awkward. So I thought, I'll just try to avoid that. Well, Thursday night before the big dance, our town is all gathered up. There's 12 of us all gathered up together. And, we, and we, you got like a, a leader, a, 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 like a college kid in there that's supposed to lead you. And this one kid from this big, from Capitol High School in Boise says, uh, okay, now listen, at this dance, if we're going to get lucky, here's how we're going to do it. And I'm like, hmm? I got my Bible out and said, lucky, lucky, lucky. And I just sat there and I thought, oh, oh, this, this, uh-oh, where's this going? And the, the college leader said, hey, come on now, we don't, that's subjects off limits. And that the next moment 
is the first time really in my life at age, I was still 16, where I thought, okay, I'm either going to stand up for what I believe or I'm going to back away from what I believe. This is the first time where I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this may cost me something. This kid says to the entire group, well, obviously no one's a virgin here. We've all had sex. Come on, if you're a virgin, raise your hand. I felt, I can't tell you how stupid I felt. And some of you are here like, you were a virgin at 16? Yeah, sorry. All right. Uh, and I'm like, Ugh. And then immediately half the crowd, half the group is like, what? I can't believe you. What's wrong with you? And the other half was like, oh, yeah, that's cool, dude. You know, that's, that's all right. And as the, as the meeting ended, I felt like 11 dudes walked out this door and went that way, and I walked this way all by myself, and I thought, I just want to get out of here. It was such an awkward moment. It was, a, it was an awkward question where I thought, I can either back away or I can lean in. In my life, I've had lots of times to make that decision. Often, I did not lean in. I backed away. Other times, yet you realize, uh uh-oh, this costs something here, and I lean forward. But that's a good question. Whether you are a follower of Jesus yet or not, that's a good question to consider. When we started the series a couple weeks ago, and we said that questions are are, are great. If you have some doubts, you have to ask questions, because doubts lead to questions, and questions lead to answers. Answers lead to truth, and the truth can set you free. The truth can give you exactly what you're looking for, whether you're a church person or not. Then last week, if you were here or listened in, Pastor Billy did a great job answering the question, who is God? And he did that in like 35 minutes. That's a big question, right? But basically, he zeroed in on one huge trait of who God is, and that is he's Father. In every good sense of that word, the the best of Father, uh, that he loves you, he's with you, he's for you. If you want to see the love of a father, hang out at a quinceanera. I went to my first quinceanera last, last night. Uh, n- never been invited to one before in 30 years of living here. I got invited to my first one. And I did kind of the spiritual blessing uh, of, uh, uh, of Natalie. And then I thought, okay, this is fine. And then there's this party, right? If you've ever been to one, there's food and there's dancing and the music loud and everything. But then, whammo, uh, she does a dance, just she and her mom, and then she does a dance with just her dad. And her dad just lost it. He's crying and he's holding on to her and he's kissing because she's 15 and, and especially in, the, in that culture, it's like, okay, now she's an adult and she's moving out. If, you wanna, if, you, if, you, if you've never experienced the love of a father, seen the love of a father, hang out at a quinceanera or be at a wedding where the dad is giving his daughter away, all right? Or when the uh, dad drives up and drops his daughter off at college and he drives away and leaves her behind, all right? I mean, in every sense of who a father is, those are the times where we as dads lean in, especially with our daughters, and say, oh, man, don't forget that I love you, I'm with you, I'm still with you, even though, and I'm for you. So God's father. This morning, the question we want to answer in the next few minutes is, yeah, but is it worth it? What if there is a God? What, what if he really does love me? So What? And if you're standing on the outside looking in, that's a good question for the answer because why give your life to Jesus? Why decide to follow? Why, why admit that you need forgiveness? Why give your life to Jesus and try to live for him? If, what's the payoff? Is there any payoff? Is it worth it? 
Because at some time in your life, and some of you that have maybe walked and followed Jesus for a while know this, following is going to cost you something. Following costs. All right, let me, let me give you a couple examples. Um, you may not be as popular as other people. You may be unpopular. Um, the, uh, when, <laughs> when you're at Boy State and someone says, hey, we've all, we, we've all, we've all had sex before. Uh, there's no virgin here. Anyone a virgin? And you raise your hand. There, there's no. See, I came from Christian school where you're like, uh, uh, hey, did anyone had sex? Oh, no, no. Uh, come on, let's just unite together and hold her hand and guard her heart. You know, yay, Jesus. Uh, we, we at Christian school, uh, unlike your, your heathen public schools, uh, we at Christian school, we would go out on dates with girls and we would do things we probably shouldn't and then we would come back to the locker room and lie about it and say we didn't. You at public schools went out and you didn't do stuff with girls and you came back and lied about that you did. All right? <laughs> Homeschoolers, I got nothing for you. I don't know. I don't, I don't. <laughs> There's a point where following Jesus may be unpopular. And listen, I, I, I was kind of raised in a culture that said, and you should go try to be unpopular. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should try to create static. You should try to make a fuss, all right? But there are times where you, it, it's going to be difficult where you know God's call to you is going to ram smack on in front. Like, God says, hey, be generous. And you're like, "Uh, I like my money. God says, hey, look at other gals with with, with pure eyes and a pure heart. And you're like, ah, I really battled this lust stuff and it's lust and it's enjoyable and everything. I mean, there's times where you have to say, "Uh uh-oh, this is hard. It might be risky. You might think you're going this direction, and Jesus comes along, taps you on the shoulder, and says, come on this way. And you're like, what? I, how, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know how to do that. I don't have any money. I, how, what's the outcome? How am I going to do that? You should have been around about nine years ago, a little more than nine years ago, when Jesus comes along and taps Darlene and I on the shoulder, and thank God a couple other couples went with us and said, why don't you go start a church? I never planned on that. That was a risky proposition. Or it might be inconvenient. And I don't know what your story is, and I got a lot of them. But when I sat at Boy State in my, in my townie group, there's this uh, moment where I thought, uh, okay, I'm going to tell the truth. But all that Sunday morning worship feels that you get maybe when Allie or Billy or Dane is singing, that was not in the room. There was no, yes, Jesus, you're great, Jesus. It was like, oh, either stand up or sit down, Kyle, but there's no Sunday morning feels. Is it worth it? Is it I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about should you believe in Jesus or not. I'm saying if you do believe in Jesus, if you do choose to follow Jesus, is it worth it? Or does he require too much? The greatest job in the world is youth pastoring. I guess there's some bad youth pastor jobs. I've never had one. It's, it's really that fact that someone hands you a check for hanging out with teenagers is really super enjoyable. You all adults, I love you guys. You're not nearly as fun as hanging out and teaching uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, all right? Uh, but I got old. 
But one time I wasn't old, and I was youth pastor down in Southern California. And during the summer, every single Thursday, I got paid to load up 60, 70 kids on a bus, drive from Whittier, California, down to Huntington Beach, and spend the entire day with teenagers at the beach. And they said, here's your check. That's all I did. Listen, maybe you judge me. I didn't have a Bible study. We didn't sit around and sing songs. We just went to the beach. We, we hung out, got to know each other. You know, blah, blah. We just went to the beach. Well, when we went to Huntington Beach, there was three types of kids. All right? And I couldn't understand why the first type even showed up. They were there. Maybe the parents made them go. Like, you're not going to stay home, so you go with that church group. But they would stay up on the beach because we would get to the beach at about 9 or 10 a.m., it's always overcast. It's always cold in the morning. And so mainly these girls would stay up on the beach, wrapped up in their towel, and shivering most of the day. They never went down to the water. They never jumped in. They were just like, yeah. And if you said, hey, do you love Huntington Beach? They said, no, really don't. There's another group that got past that, but they, 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 they weren't willing to risk or they were scared. And they would get down and they would frolic in the water put their toes in there, you know, maybe you wait out a little bit to your knees and then you see a big wave coming like three feet and you run and like, ah, <laughs> that was most of Christian school boys. <laughs> then there's this other group of idiots who get out so far and they see big waves coming and there's always like, Here's a group of waves, and they're like three feet tall, but those are the waves we're going after. And they swim out there. They get up there. Some of them have their boogie boards. It wasn't really a surfboard spot. And they, they're, they're body surfing, and they're just getting rolled and tumbled. And they, you know, they, they got sand abrasions on their face, and they get up, and they yeah, and they get back out there. When you get done with a summer, and you say, hey, how'd you kids like Huntington Beach? All the beach dwellers wrapped up in their towels are like, hey, we hate it. Let's do something else. The other group is like, it's okay. I like to frolic. <laughs> I was 50% in. But when you look at these little Hessian boys and, and a lot of girls too, hey, do you guys like Huntington Beach? The waves are so great. If we could go every day, Kyle, you're the best youth pastor for taking us to Huntington Beach. It's, it's a fantastic thing. And some of us look at faith that way, right? That you maybe showed up and tried Jesus before and it wasn't any fun or it didn't work out for you, so you just stay rolled up in your towel. And some of us are, without any guilt or accusation, I'm not trying to do that, but some of us are percentage followers where we're like, okay, I'll do this and this, but I'm not going to do that and that. I'll be a little in. And then others have determined somewhere along the line, it is worth it just to dive in, to swim out, to trust that God is bigger than your fears, than your popularity, than your convenience. I want to share one story with you that changed my direction as a person. Many of you know that I was kind of a, 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 a rotten kid. And you're like, oh, there's no kid that are rotten. Yes, I was. And you can ask my dad afterwards. I was a bad kid. Um, I constantly looking to get in trouble. When you, when you say a preacher's kid, I was the textbook definition of one. My dad said this, I would do the opposite. If my Sunday school teacher said, don't do that, I would do the opposite. 
you show up to school and there's, there's paint in a wall. Hey, don't touch wet paint. I would touch it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I was a bad kid. And I continued my, my evil ways. And again, I could go into details, but you wouldn't believe me. But I was just a bad kid. Uh, then we moved from Chelan to Boise. And I kind of started a redirection. And I ran into somebody, a mentor, that kind of redirected my life. So at age 15, 16, 17 is when I decided, okay, I'm either going to go all in or I'm not. And there was a story of Jesus, an encounter with Jesus, that convinced me that I wasn't the only one who struggled and convinced me, for me, the right direction. I want to share that with you and give you that opportunity as well. The story comes after, probably you've heard before, whether you grew up in church or not, it's kind of a big story, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus people. Remember, he's there with his disciples, and he's preaching. There's thousands of people, and they don't have any food. Jesus says, feed them, and they say, we don't got any. And so they get some kid, and he has some loaves of bread and fish. You with me on that story? If you haven't heard it before, it's really, truly a miracle. It's really bizarre that a few fish and a, a, a few pieces of bread fed 5,000-plus people, and then there was 12 baskets of stuff left over that he let each probably disciple take home. So after this thing, Jesus was the most popular person in, in all the land. And they wanted to make him king, and the disciples, his 12 close people, said, yeah, let's do this. Because if you become king, we go with you. You're the king. We're the VIPs. The crowd's with us. Let's do this, Jesus. And Jesus intentionally says, that's not going to happen. And he separates. They jump in a boat to get away from the crowd, and he ends up across this lake in a city of Capernaum. And in Capernaum... Uh, the people the, the, that were fed bread and saw the miracle and thought, this guy's great, show up, they find him by foot or, or, or however they got there. They find him in Capernaum. And they show up and they're like, uh, hey, Jesus, because Jesus is teaching like in the synagogue or whatever, like blah, 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 blah. And they're like, hey, Jesus, do one of those tricks. Jesus, it's about breakfast time. How about instead of fish and bread, let's give us some uh, uh, locks and bagels. What do you got going up there, Jesus? They're like, do something. Do a trick. Give us something. We're all in if you got fish and bread. But this bloody blah, blah stuff, we're getting bored with it. Give us something. Jesus decided to use this time as a, a teaching moment. And he starts out and he, he has an uh, uh, analogy. And he says, like, I'm the bread of life. And the crowd's like, no, you're not. We know where you're from. I'm from heaven. No, you're not. You're from Nazareth. We know your, your, your mama and your daddy. And the crowd is kind of, there's like kind of a, a tension that grows. This isn't the free bread and fish giveaway that it was just a, 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 a day before. And so the tension uh, builds, and he's going on and on about him being the bread of life. And if you really... If you want to go all in, if you really want to receive everything possible, then you have to participate fully with Jesus. He's saying, and I'm it. If you want to eat and never get hungry again, if you want to drink and never get thirsty again, I'm the man. And then he says this. Imagine sitting there with your kids. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll ri I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. If you're sitting there, you're like, ooh, wait a minute, we stumbled into a cult. Now, Jesus isn't saying you, you have to eat a human body. 
He's saying you have to participate fully. But on the outside, and you would hear it as weird too, is you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And why? So you can have eternal life. So basically he's saying if, if you want to go to heaven, take a big chunk out of my flesh. If you want to go to heaven, here's a glass of blood. It's like, you know people are sitting there and like, oh man, I just stumbled into, this guy's like that vampire from the movies. Bam. I don't know anything about that movie. So if I just crossed the line or something, I assume he's the vampire and there's like a werewolf or something. And then Scooby-Doo comes and reveals who it really is. Obviously, you, and so does the crowd, grows concerned. John tells us, who was eyewitness and wrote this down, John says, on hearing this, many of his disciples' broad category said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. This can't be worth it. This is weird stuff. How, 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 how can this take place? And the disciples, Jesus always had like three groups of people following around. Distantly, they were always the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they were standing in the back just looking for him to mess up. And then there was the, the, the general crowd that were super interested, and you would too if you got free fish and bread. You would too if you, you saw water turn to wine. You would too if you saw lame people walk in. So they were always... But, so that, he's referring to, there's a bunch of them that are following him around all the time. And that's who he's referring to. The disciples, the general crowd started saying, wait a minute, this, we're not comfortable with this. I just try to picture what that would have been like. You guys are all standing here, you all sitting here, and I come up and I start saying, listen, you guys, if you really want to know Jesus, if you really want to go to heaven... You have to eat my flesh, and so we're going to start over here, and Mark, will you come up and take a knife, and, and, you know, and, and Eric, you can drink my blood over here. I already got it ready for you. I mean, that would be, come on. Some of you would run for the doors, but I would think that Pastor Billy and Pastor Graham would come up and say, uh, hey, one second, please. Pull me aside, and maybe, maybe Peter and James pulled him aside and says to Matthew, hey, Matthew, get up there and do some of those tax collector jokes everyone loves, and you pull the Son of God aside, and you say, hey, listen, man. You're losing the crowd. Your message is offensive. And Jesus, I don't know if you know this, if we lose the crowd, we lose the mission. If we lose the crowd, we lose our popularity. If the crowd turns against us, it is going to get bad. As much as they wanted to do something like that, they didn't. Slowly, people started making their way out. I think that the immediate 12, Jesus' 12 would, would have loved to step out too. And I think it was, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it was like, you're an idiot, I'm leaving, because these people had been around them. I think it was just like, they slowly just like, keep talking, son of God. Yeah, but we're with you, Jesus. So, I scared Savannah, sorry, Savannah. And now I'm out of breath. Uh, 180 beats per minute. 
Yeah, they just slowly went away. Till I think that all that's left is Jesus and the 12 close posse friends. And they're like inside, they're grumbling like, man, what did we get ourselves into? This guy's crazy. And Jesus says, aware that disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus says to them, does this offend you? From this time on, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They said, it's not worth it. Jesus turns to the 12 after everyone else mainly had left. And he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Hey, Peter, you want to go? John, are you, you're writing all this down. You thinking about leaving? Matthew, you want out? You want to go back to your tax collector booth? Bartholomew, we don't know anything about you, so uh, I don't have a question for you. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to go. You'd want to go too. At that moment, it was going to cost them something, and they had to decide, is it worth it? But there are times in your life where it... You, you are tempted to walk away. You are tempted to give up. You are tempted to say, this ain't worth it. During times of transition, when you move from one place to another, seniors, you graduates, you're headed to college. When this transition from high school to college, you will have an opportunity to say, are you all in or are you all out? Is it worth it to follow Jesus even at WSU where they give you a keg just for showing up? Whether you go to WSU or you go to Whitworth or you go to Biola or you go to SPU, at some point you have the opportunity because now it's your faith. It's not my faith. It's not real life's faith. It's not your family's faith anymore. It's your choice. And you're going to have to choose. During times of transition, listen, when you've moved from one area to another and you look around like, these friends don't talk and act the way my old churchy friends did. It's not like you decide that I'm going to quit following. You just slowly hang out with people and just becomes unimportant. During times of temptation, whatever age you are, there's a moment where you have to say, is it worth it? This thing I want so much and I know it's not right. I know it's not even good for me, but I want it so much. Am I going to move that way away from Jesus or if I'm going to move in a direction so I say, no, I'm going to all in. I'm going to go ahead and go without because I know in the long run it'll be worth it. Or during times of trouble. When you have prayed and asked and prayed and asked and God does not come through. And your, your prayer even makes sense. Your child is sick. Your loved one ha, has some un, incurable disease. That you're struggling financially. You, you've asked for things that seem to make sense and God doesn't come through. At those times, times of transition, temptation and trouble, there's a chance for you to say, is it worth it? There have been times, listen, I'm sure I've shared this before with you, but there have been times in my life where I thought me and Jesus are good to go. I mean, we were, my parents uh, divorced, I was kind of left on my own in college, and I was like, it's me and God, I'm, let's go. And the junior year, summer between my junior year in college and my senior year, I, I thought, okay, I'm into this ministry thing, I'm going to be a youth pastor. And I interned at this great church in Meridian, Idaho, Valley Shepherd Nazarene. I had some great leadership, with a great mentor that, that helped me. But it was a difficult summer. And I, I looked at the 
the pain and hassle that my dad had been through in ministry, and I looked around at my intern experience, and I thought, first of all, this had been a struggle. Now, I'm going to be a youth pastor. I'm never going to have very much money. Who's going to want to marry me? I told Darlene I had half a million dollars in the bank. She said yes. <laughs> what kind of, I mean, I'm going to miss out on so much. There, there's a point during that time where I said, I, I don't know. And so I said, I'm out. I went back to Biola. I took all my electives that I had saved up for my senior year and went into a high-paying position. I wanted to get a better job, so I took all my classes and went into education because I was going to be a teacher. And I said, that's it. I'm not doing this ministry thing. So I taught school a couple years. I liked it. There's a bunch of kids that don't know anything. Um, I taught sixth grade. They had the greatest year of their life. They don't know anything about anything. I taught algebra <laughs> to a bunch of ninth graders. Somewhere they're like, I don't know what 2x plus anything is. Plue is a horrible teacher. I taught school about three years, and then Jesus comes along and says, hey, how about you going to ministry? And this church we attended said, we need a youth pastor. We heard that maybe you have a degree. Do you want to try it? Man, I'm so glad I did. For three years, I was like, nope. I'd like to take the easier route. And listen, I'm not saying you have to be a youth pastor. I'm saying this is my journey. There's a moment where you have to say, is it worth it? Everyone has to ask that question. Peter, James, John, the bigwigs of the Bible are like, ah, I don't know if this is worth it. So Jesus says, hey, you guys want to leave too? I think there was this long pause, and Jesus just sat back and waited and waited. Everyone's looking down. No one's talking. And of course, of course, Peter, who said the wrong thing more than the right thing most of the time, he speaks up, and pretty sheepishly he says, Simon Peter answered, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Yeah, we want to walk away, and it doesn't feel like it's worth it right now. All the crowd left, and you are talking nonsense. We don't understand. But Jesus, where are we going to go? Which is a question you should ask. If you're in the middle of Christianity and you're thinking about stepping out, that's a good question. Where are you going? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're like, I don't know about that, then what's the alternative? And what you have to understand is when you choose not to follow Jesus, you choose to follow something or somebody else. Peter keeps going. He says, Lord, where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We know. We've seen. You have ruined us from following anybody else or anything else. We've heard you talk. We know that you're the very uh, son of God. We have come to believe and to know that you are the holy one of God. Peter says, we just don't believe it because it's some feeling that we have when we hang out with you. We know. We are certain. So even though our feelings tell us to leave, even though we want to disappear in the crowd and go running away too, we know and believe that you are the legitimate savior, forgiver, rescuer that we need. And it doesn't feel very good right now, but where else are we going to go? 
And here's the question for you. If not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, then what? Every time I run into this passage, it jumps out at me. But I always remember the story I heard about Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was um, a buddy of Billy Graham. And maybe you've heard of him before. In the, in the mid-40s, he and Billy Graham uh, would tour together and would do crusades. And Charles Templeton got to be uh, very popular. But after three years of touring with Billy Graham, his worldview started changing a little bit. And he decided that the teachings of Jesus and the Bible in general were not truth. And he became an agnostic. He didn't say there was no God. He just said there's no reason to respond to God. And he completely did a reverse in his life and went from preaching about Jesus with Billy Graham around the world to writing a book called um, Farewell to God. Gave up. At some point he said, this ain't worth it. Fifty years later, when Charles Templeton is in his 80s, a guy named Lee Strobel was writing a, um, a, a book, and he found Charles Templeton and went to interview him about his faith and what happened. And so they talked, and um, uh, Lee Strobel put in his book, A Case for Christ, A Case for Faith. And Lee Strobel says, hey, I understand your story, I understand your journey, but I got a question for you, Mr. Templeton. Tell me your thoughts on Jesus. Was he a great example? Was he a gift to the world? Was he better than any other human? I mean, what's your take on it? Charles Thompson said, and I quote, well, yes, he is the most important thing in my life, even though he's an agnostic. And they stuttered, and he said, I, I'm searching for the right word. I don't know. It may sound strange, but I have to say, even though I'm an agnostic, and I don't think following Jesus with my life is worth it, he says, when I think about Jesus, I adore him, which stunned Lee Strobel. And as... Strobel sat there kind of staring at him. Templeton said, and if I may put it this way, I miss him. And Templeton dropped his head and began to cry. That there's a moment, I think for everybody, where you're on the edge of having to say, am I in? Am I all in? Am I not? Am I a percentage follower or am I not? Do I want to get in? Is it worth it? And I just believe, without any judgment, you guys, I just believe that when you, have, you, you ask the question, if not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, what? That I think if you decide to go on a journey away from Jesus by yourself, again, you're free to do that. We're not a cult. We, you, you're welcome no matter what you think or feel or believe. But there'll be a day where you'll look back and say, oh, man, I wish I hadn't. I wish I had stayed. I wish there was some way to make up for this gap because I miss Jesus because his forgiveness is like holy water. His grace changed my life. 
I didn't have to follow a set of rules. I, I, I could enjoy a relationship. If I was all in or halfway in, Jesus still loved me. And I, I wish I hadn't taken the opportunity to walk the way I did. Listen, life struggles always create questions. Times of transition, times of temptation, times of trouble. But when you consider your options, and I would encourage you to do that, considering your options always brings clarity. A couple things. Salvation is completely free. Cost you nothing. Cost Jesus everything. Cost you nothing. You don't have to be all in. You don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to be perfect. Salvation is free. It's a free gift. That's how the New Testament describes it. It's offered to you freely. Now, following Jesus at some point will cost you something. Salvation is free. Following, there's a moment where you're like, uh-oh. All right, this is going to cost something. But refusing to follow Christ may cost you everything. The very things you think are going to bring life and freedom to you are the very things that are going to cost you to miss out on the greatest thing you could have participated in. So as we wrap up, let me give you just a couple next steps. The obvious next step is this. Answer the question, if not Jesus, who? Listen, I'm on the edge. I don't want to be offensive for needlessly. But what are your options? You're going to depend on you? You is good. You're a nice person. But you're not a very good God. You're going to depend on that cutie you're dating? Great, fall in love. Lousy God. You're going to depend on your bank account, your future, your career, your family. All good things, really great things. Do well. But that, that, those things make lousy gods. If not Jesus, then who? Who would you live for? Nothing? That's an option. Second thing, in the midst of the pain, your temptation, your trouble, transition, consider other options, even though it's difficult. And you may have to have, talk to a buddy or someone you trust and say, Come, will you sit down and let's talk this out, let's get this out, because you've been struggling inside with it a long time. In the midst of the pain you're going through, it's easy to get caught and think there's no other option but this one. Maybe a conversation helps you step back and say, okay. There's some other options. And finally, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're bumping into people who are struggling, be aware of the struggle of other people and accept and welcome them lovingly. It's really disappointing when we, if you're a follower of Jesus and you bump into people who are struggling with whatever issue that is out there, and immediately inside and then sometimes verbally outside is condemnation. When they're just struggling. They have their feet in the water, maybe. Or maybe they're snuggled up on the beach in a towel. Well, you dragging them out in the deep water isn't going to help. They'll never come back to the beach. But you sitting with them and listening to their story, maybe that's a step toward the right direction. 
Listen, I'd be a horrible person, a horrible pastor if I didn't stop this morning and if you're listening online or you're right here in the pack in Chelan and say this. You have an opportunity to decide to be a follower of Jesus this morning. You don't have to sign up for church. You don't have to give any money. You don't don't have to follow the rules. But maybe this is the morning where you say, I know I can't save myself. I know I have a standard for my life that I don't follow, and I know God's standard is way bigger than mine, and I know I can't follow that, so I need a rescue. I know that there's gap between me and God, and God said, hey, listen, let's do something about that. Jesus, get down there, give your life for that, for the forgiveness of sin, offer people grace so they can enjoy a messed up world with a messed up life, but there's a hope beyond this moment that I'm here, standing here to say, yes, it's worth it. Find Jesus is worth it. During times when my marriage was struggling, it's worth it. When I was worried about my kids, it's worth it. Having a hope beyond this moment is worth it. Following Jesus makes my life work. Following Jesus makes you better at life and makes life better. It doesn't make you perfect or the world perfect, but it gives you a, a, a standard, a foundation that you can't find any other place. And it is more than worth it. And I invite you, in sitting right where you're at, to say, okay, God, I accept, I accept Jesus. I accept the forgiveness of my sin. I, I choose, even though I don't even know everything, I don't understand everything, I choose to go all in, even though it may cost me something. I pray you make that decision this morning. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for the example of Jesus, for the life of Jesus. Thanks for um, having this history and this document for us to see and experience that we can see the confusion of disciples and the love and acceptance of Jesus. God, I ask that you would work in our hearts that as we leave this week, that it becomes clear that we are in good standing with you as we accept the forgiveness of Jesus. I pray we all make that decision. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, listen, thanks for being here. As we exit, a little differently than, than uh, other Sundays, as we exit, there's probably going to be uh, parents and kids uh, exiting out of uh, the Joey Buckets basketball camp. Just be real cool. Um, give the right of way. Uh, there's still coffee and donuts to offer or whatever. Just, just uh, we're all going to be great neighbors here, all right? Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Have a great, great Sunday. See ya. Love you. Bye.